name is Brie Castellini, and I used to be a spy. My name is Chris Cherry. I used to have a normal sleep schedule. And this is Burn Noticed, a podcast full of lies. A weekly rewatch of the USA television masterpiece Burn Notice about Michael Weston, a spy. Throughout this podcast, we will be rating each episode on whether it is A, an episode of television, B, a great episode of television, or C, a great episode of Burn Notice. If you want to know what complicated calculations go into these ratings, wait until the end, where we'll explain them. Also, if you or anyone you know knows Jeffrey Donovan, or anyone even remotely associated with the Burn Notice cinematic universe, please get in touch. You can send us questions, suggestions, compliments, and absolutely no criticism of any kind, both to burnnoticedpodcast at gmail.com or to our Twitter, at burnnoticedpod. And as always, that is burnnoticed with a D, and both with an L. I forgot about that. I will never forget. I also edited both of those episodes yesterday while playing Loop Hero. I found I, some some what is, uh, discerning Twitter users might know this, but I, I I found a new game called Loop Hero. What is your Hero? new game? Loop Hero. Uh, you Explain can get it on Loop Hero to me. Okay, so the most it's hard to explain without showing you, but like the most basic explanation is that the universe has been wiped from existence except for you a loop of like concrete and some weird slimes. But as you go around this like loop, uh, you remember new things and uh, new things appear in your world and um, you start to like put the universe back together. So like, that's like the very high concept element of it, but it's like, it actually does sound really cool. It's like a, it's, yeah, it's like a deck building game. Um, It's a, like, there's a lot of fun, like, lore stuff. Um, But what's great about it is that the way that it's played is that, like, literally all your little character is doing is walking in a circle and occasionally, like, dealing with things as they pop up, like, as you remember them, as you put them in your path. And so, like, fighting things will get you new cards and new materials and resources and stuff. And so, like, there's not a lot that you're actually physically doing in the game. Like, I don't have to, like, it's not a shooter you know and i during combat i just sit there and if i want to i can switch out my equipment but like for the most part it's a pretty passive game that you're kind of just like paying attention um and like planning your route better so it's perfect for editing podcasts too because like it'll automatically stop in the background if i have to switch over to the podcast to like edit out an um or one of the 15 million pauses that there are in a chris cherry hosted episode um and then i'll pop back to loop hero while i'm listening and it's like a it's a it's a good cadence i'm not like losing track of either one i'm i'm like not even multitasking really i'm like doing each one in their own time but yeah it's made editing podcasts yeah, you need to understand easier. that that is what multitasking means to me yeah that's <laughs> but anyways it's great it's a very fun game it's like 15 bucks on steam you can even play it on my busted fucking mac computer so that's been also delightful i'll send you a video uh where, where i learned about it chris that you so you can see if you'll like it but yes this is my recommendation for this week's burn noticed is instead of watching a different television than burn notice i'm recommending that you play the game loop hero that does actually sound really cool like as a rule i don't like video games there became a point wherein not liking video games became part of my brand I don't know if it's ever, I mean, I guess maybe I didn't know you during the time that this was your brand. At at best, I would have described you as video game apathetic. Yeah, no, I feel like this is the thing that's happened recently. I think, like, especially, like, after I came out, because, like, a lot of trans girls are also gamer girls. 
And like, I am very much not, and I've never been. I mean, I but had. Now, but now you're like looking, you have like an, a tab open to like buy those cat girl headphones. And you're like, you know, you're lovingly stroking, like going live on Twitch. And you're like, but what if, <laughs> what if I was a trans cat girl gamer? What if that was for me? Never ever say the phrase lovingly stroking ever again. <laughs> you can't fucking stop me. You haven't been vaccinated yet, so you you can't come fight me and I can't come fight you. That's or fair. lovingly or lovingly stroke you as I am known to do. Oh my god. <laughs> So this is interesting energy to start the podcast on. Do you want to know great... what episode we're talking about this week? I would love to. You should also, like, we're starting earlier than we normally start. So, like, I have just woken up. So this is the energy that I have just woken up into. Oh, interesting. I've been awake for hours. I'm still, even though I'm in Colorado, I'm keeping East Coast hours. So I got up this morning at 7.30 a.m., and then I did some work for my other podcast, <laughs> and now I'm on this podcast. It's a podcast full day. Delightful. All right, so yeah, tell me about this episode. This episode, which is season five, episode three, it's called Mind Games. It aired July 7th, 2011, and was written by frenemy of the pod Michael Horowitz and directed by Scott Peters, who I'm sure we've talked about before, but he's like a semi-regular Burn Notice director, but he's also a writer more uh, often than he is a director. He was writing for are you afraid of the dark goosebumps anamorphs the outer limits and a few others so he kind of yeah i do like remember the... talking about this guy because I... yeah I, the goosebumps yeah no me. i think yeah we definitely talked about i think the idea of a spooky episode of burned at us oh that's yeah that's thing, true that's a thing that i this would still like one. to exist yeah i, I, I think like a halloween special burn notice like a halloween special burn notice like something where like you it's know like, I, I can imagine it's almost like a scooby-doo sort of a thing like the case of the week is you know a masked menace and michael weston is like so not into it and fiona and sam are like having the time of their lives like I <laughs> figuring out who's in charge amazing. of the haunted mansion wouldn't no, that be fun thing. and like and, like, it turns out, like, Jesse is weirdly superstitious. <laughs> so Michael Weston hates it. Jesse's super superstitious. And Fee and Sam are, like, having the time of their life. This sounds amazing. We should write a burn notice Halloween spec and read it for, like, our final episode. We should. We should reboot burn notice. We should reboot. We should reboot burn notice. <laughs> Why has burn notice not been given to us? I don't know. Clearly, we are more responsible with it than anyone else. Did you know that that, that other Burn Notice podcast hasn't updated in, like, months? We won. <laughs> We're more committed to this dumb idea than they are. Yes, we are. Yeah, the last time they posted was, like, May or July 2020. It's almost been a year. Oh, wow. No, but they should give us They should give us a Burn Notice. They frankly should give us a burn notice i can't believe that they they haven't already but you know we'll keep trucking along we've got three more seasons i mean we may have i can't imagine that matt nix likes us i mean matt nix doesn't know about us but if matt nix knows about us i can't imagine (laughs) yeah i was gonna say i I bet i wonder if he knows about us i wonder if a passing little email has gone past him i wonder if it's come up at at a zoom drink session (laughs) with his good friend michael horowitz who we're about to talk about a lot (laughs) Oh, about our good friend McLaurin's. But, like, I always want to say it. I feel like I've said many times on this podcast, I bear no ill will towards Matt Nix. 
It's hard to say that after listening, re-listening to our pilot episode, which I haven't done, but I remember. And we are harsh. I mean, the whole season one was a fucking mess. Well, yeah, no, it's a bad um, season of television. It's a bad se- But like when you have to listen to this podcast chronologically, it is not hard to interpret that we have ill will towards Big Daddy Nicks and his associated yeah, product. Exactly. Which is not true at all. No, he seems very nice. Yeah, no, I, yeah, he seems like a very nice dude. And like, I want to be on record as saying that so that we can reboot Burn Notice. <laughs> yeah. That would actually be so fun. Or spin it off. Like maybe we can we can write a Burn Notice spinoff that like stars um, either. No, Fia I want Michael's Jeffrey Donovan. Children or Jeffrey Donovan or <laughs> well, no, no he'll sale. Be in it. No sale. <laughs> So when you say reboot, you want to just do the whole, the show again with the same actors, but like ten years older. Yeah, that's amazing. I'm I wanted to like those Absolutely. like those like last two X Files seasons. I'm nuts. I just could not watch enough X Files to know what that means, but I'm glad that you do. Um, do you want to know what the IMDb description of this episode is? I sure do. That's a new one. Fee and Sam ask Michael to take a break and let go of the past now that the people who burned him have been brought to justice, but he soon decides to help one of Nate's friends who's being harassed by a loan shark. Mm-hmm. So. Seeing Nate makes me anxious. But seeing Michael Horowitz's name makes me hopeful. And like, yeah. it was definitely... Like, he's been burning us lately. He so, has been burning us. But I will so say I was on the worried. record before we get into the weeds that I was really enjoying this episode. I this, this episode, episode is wholesome as fuck. It's, it's, as, it's arguably more wholesome than the first wholesome as fuck episode that we talked about of his, the one where the guy had got the hound at the end. I was going to yeah, say, like, yeah, no, this has... It's, mo- it's more wholesome than that because this time it's not just wholesome because of the bad guy of the week. It's also wholesome for the like main crew. And there's some yeah. things that are established in this episode sort of like subliminally that i really want to talk about because it oh, seems totally. cute as fuck it's cute so, as fuck if i had a criticism of this episode it might be that it's a little too wholesome it's a little too cute but also it's you. fine because i how love it you. and it has fearless leader energy and that's my favorite episode of burn notice so i am happy mm-hmm. with this episode me too let's jump into the weeds and talk about it more specifically all right so we begin on a weeping baby Charlie Weston because Nate ugh, has moved back to Miami, apparently. So we'll be seeing more of him, although I see, I've seen a spoiler and I know roughly what happens. Um, and I'm not unhappy about it. So take away from that what you will. Michael oh, escapes this interaction of crying baby Charlie and Madeline chastising him about not moving fast enough with fee and giving her other grandchildren uh to go rebuild the charger and then nate tries to give madeline like baby holding technique advice and she's like fuck off nate and he's like okay i'm gonna go see michael with the charger while like entering the garage nate pitches that they when they're rebuilding the charger make it into a cool spy mobile which i really liked and like i i almost like forgot that i hated nate because i was like that's a great idea you guys should trick this charger out as a Bimobile, but the show seems to think it's a dumb idea because the the like particular idea that Nate pitches um, is like a, I think it's like a smoke thing or something like during yeah, high speed like pursuits. Screen. Yeah, you yeah. can set off a smoke screen, and Michael's like, "Do you know what smoke does when you're going seventy miles an hour? It dissipates." And then Nate goes, well, and then they don't talk about the spy mobile anymore. And I'm like, damn it, Michael Horowitz, give us spy mobile, make Jeffrey but, like, Donovan Batman. According to, according God to like this show. 
spies are boring. It doesn't have to be. But he's not really a spy anymore. He used to be a spy. Now That's he true. can be a cool, fun, like, flirty, rebooted, spy-adjacent guy. Like, I would love there to be another spy that shows up who's, like, just a James Bond spy. <laughs> and, like, he's, I mean, like, an actual it... spy. I mean, the British guy was kind of that. Yeah, and I was going to say him or um, the this, this, the old-timey sex guy. What was his name? Burt Reynolds. Yeah, Burt Reynolds. He was Burt Reynolds a... was kind of an... But, like, yeah, but he's doing more of a specific Burt Reynolds thing. Like, I want a spy sure. that's, like, he has a bunch of... Like, that's spe- specifically about gadgets and suaveness like that's true that's true like and we haven't had that yeah and i like, don't know if burn notice knows how to write suave because like we're, no, I think we're supposed to take away that michael weston can be suave sometimes and i didn't i have never gotten that impression from him i think it would be great if that was just a thing and like all the other spies know about this spy and they kind of hate him because he's like this but like he's actually a good spy He's sort of like the anti-Michael Weston, because everyone knows Michael Weston, too, but, like, are afraid of him. And he's like, oh, he's a real deal. And this guy's like, oh, God, fuck this guy. But he's also the real deal. Yeah. That's funny. Anyways, so no Spymobile, because fuck us, I guess. And then Michael and Nate have like an actually kind of okay little interaction where Michael's like, why did you come back to Miami? It's so dangerous here. You have a child. And Nate's like, I... I'm a bad guy and being around family helps. Like I got to stay straight for this kid. And I am not doing a good job of that in Vegas because I am a gambling addict, as you remember. So I'm back. And Michael's like, okay. Um, they, they, they mention Ruth only to establish that she's not going to be in this episode. Um, she skipped the welcome home meatloaf to go get her nails done, apparently. But then we never hear from Ruth again. So I don't ever think that Ruth appears. Um, oh, I'm sure. Again, I think she has like one episode where we're like ugh Ruth and then she leaves and gets pregnant and we're like okay bye Ruth <laughs> then once we leave that scene we are still in the cold open and Michael and Fee are out shopping for home goods but instead of getting curtains like Michael thinks they're doing Fee's like what if we go get a paper shredder because you have all those fucking files on the guys who burned you and they're fucking dead or in jail so like let's get rid of them let's let's do that let's start fresh and then Michael's like uh maybe but then he thinks that they're being tailed so they split up to test the theory but it turns out it's just a guy out shopping with his family um, when Michael like attacks him all pent up and paranoid and our cold open ends on um, Michael later that night sitting up in bed in fright holding a gun to the door and like just so so paranoid that something's happening even though ostensibly according to chris's theory we're not doing the burn notice plot anymore but here's the thing this episode still makes sense that we're not doing the burn notice plot anymore oh this episode does i'm just putting that into the canon (laughs) i know the next episode i know i could put you on blast for being a fool I know. But here's the thing that's actually interesting about this episode, which is that, like, oftentimes when I'm watching a Burn Notice episode, something will be happening and be like, it would be good if this thing happens, is what I would think in my head. And it never happens. You know? I mm-hmm. The idea that I'm having is never the idea that the show goes with. But, like, this episode does that. Like, I remember watching the scene being like, there's someone telling him and thinking, like, it'd be great if it was just, like, a dude and Michael's just paranoid. And that's what it was. Mm-hmm. And, like. Yeah. And, yeah. and I think that, like, had this, had they actually, like, gone through with, yeah, you just got to fucking move on, dude. I think that, like, 
this is exactly the kind of thing that I'm looking for is like Michael having to sort of rebuild from like the high conspiracy, high rolling lifestyle of a internationally hunted spy to just like a guy who helps people. And I think that's an interesting, some kind of like PTSD or something. Mm-hmm. I mean, he definitely has PTSD. Like, li- we like, literally yeah. watch him have symptoms, and exactly. I think that this is an interesting tension. Uh, and so that that's another reason why this is this episode is so interesting and good is because, like, for a brief moment in time, it was about something other than his fucking burn notice. Exactly. This episode is interesting too because it is about how, like, the raison d'être of the show of Michael wanting to know about his burn notice and caring about the mythology is bad mm-hmm. and like fee often tells him that it's bad but like the show the show never quite the agrees show doesn't with believe fee. her yeah. yeah this is an episode where the show believes fee yeah it's like, nice it's a nice change of pace it really is um and so we leave the cold open to see our three pals getting lunch together and this is something that happens throughout the episode where like the the friends are just like having dinner or having lunch together and it's not ostensibly to talk about a mission like it seems like they're just like hey do you guys want to get dinner you guys just yeah. like hang out, and that's so fucking cute as a concept it is to me. So like this one, cute. this one is shaded, but there's one later that like somebody else, uh, or no, th- 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 I think this is next episode. Next episode, there's also a dinner that like the villain interrupts, but like it wasn't gonna be a dinner to talk about work. They were just like gonna go out to dinner as like a force. Well, I mean, Jesse. I think well. This is next week, so we can cut this, but, like... I know, but, but like, this is setting a precedent for... Sometimes they just get lunch because they like each other's company. Because they're friends. It's so cute. I mean, do they have any other friends? I don't think so. Like, they all have... They have people that they're fucking sometimes. I think Sam has friends. Sam has a million friends. That's very true. Because Sam is, like, (laughs) the most personable person. He just knows everyone. Mm -hmm. And speaking of Sam knowing everyone, so the reason that they're having lunch right now is a little bit of a cover up for uh, Fiona and Sam to kind of like do an intervention of, hey, can you calm down (laughs) and move on? And so Sam has gotten Michael a coupon for a massage at a really popular like hotel or something. And the reason he's able to get this coveted massage coupon is because he's uh, forking the lady who owns the hotel. Her name is like Elsa or something. Her name is definitely Elsa. And Fiona's like, oh, your new girlfriend and sam's like oh we don't use labels except for boy toy <laughs> and both and then there's like a shot of I, both fiona and michael looking so upset at her hearing that which i also really like i missed this sam axe my favorite thing about sam axe as a character is that like they have decided that like their version of a womanizing guy is a guy who just wants to be a kept man Sam is not a sugar daddy. Sam Uh is a sugar baby. And he fucking loves it. He loves loves when he's got rich ladies to just spoil him rotten. And he's not not a philanderer either. That's the other thing, is he's like a serial monogamist. It's like, here's the thing. I I don't remember if if we talked about this before, but I feel like we have to have because it's us. But like, Sam Axe gets pegged, right? Oh, he definitely gets pegged sometimes. Anyways, Michael's like, um, no, thank you. 
Bye. And so that doesn't go well. But like clearly Sam and Fiona are both like very worried about him and his inability to move on. So this will be something that we come back to. Next, Michael goes to talk. I think he just goes home and Nate is there and is like, hey, I have a job for you. Fucking Nate. But it's like, well, it's not his job. A friend of his, actually the wife of a friend of his is in trouble and he just needs some backup. Like, will you please go with me, Michael? And Michael's like, I'm retired. I hate working. And then Nate's like, but it's a lady who's in trouble. And Michael's like, Ugh, fine, but I better not get paid. So it's actually really, there's a really fun thing that like they do where like Michael's like, I don't want to do this. And Nate's like, oh, so I guess you sh- I should just tell her to like not worry about the fact that your life is in danger, which is, and then later <laughs> Sam asks him like, why are you doing this? And Michael goes, what? I should just tell this woman not that I don't care that her life is in danger, which is like a nice little bit of like, I like that Michael steals his justification for doing this from Nate. <laughs> Just his own defensiveness. It is very funny. Uh, so the what we know about uh, this client named Jessica, who we're about to meet, is that um, her husband, who Nate knew in Gamble's Anonymous, passed away the month before or something, leaving her with a lot of debt and leaving her in debt specifically with a loan shark named Carter. And Carter has been terrorizing her. So we go to see Jessica in her smashed up workplace, which is... A froyo shop, which will come back fro-yo multiple times. Shop. It's so good. At first, I just thought, like, oh, that's a cute, that's a cute little setting. But then they go further with it because Michael no, Horowitz yeah. knows what I'm looking for out of Burn Notice, and it's <laughs> this exactly. So <laughs> we learn a little bit more about the case of the week, which is that Carter, the the loan shark, uh, specifically because she hasn't paid him back yet, is looking to acquire her father's like fishing boat or a fishing charter boat or something but uh because it's the only thing that her or her family owns that's worth anything but of course if he takes it that would leave her and her 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 father entirely without income so she's like i don't want to give him the boat please help me out of this and michael agrees to help and she's like well i'm really sorry that i can't pay you guys but i mean if you want free yogurt and michael's like yes and then we have just like a little tiny scene to transition out of this which is michael and nate walking out with their free yogurts and michael looks so fucking happy and i just i'm thrilled for him i'm thrilled what is amazing is that like for years we have watched michael weston refuse payment and hating the idea of payment but this woman gave him free yogurt and he's like, the one yes, thing he no. actually wants. <laughs> the one thing that he actually wants. Like it's just it's really cute. It's a really cute runner. Michael Weston <laughs> only kind of wants to fuck his girlfriend, but he always wants frozen <laughs> always wants yogurt. Always. It's it's extremely it's extremely good. It's so good. As Michael is eating his first free yogurt of the episode, he tells Nate to go fuck off to hang with his baby because like you're a father. Get out of here. I will handle this. And Nate's like, oh, no, okay. So then Sam and Michael go to a quote unquote gaming facility, which I didn't know was a thing, but it's like a combination of like seemingly like like blackjack tables and stuff but also people playing bocce ball or something they're playing high line you can bet on them it's a facility where people play games and you can gamble on them i guess i've never heard these things i have never heard this either area (laughs) yeah it's like a weird location it's like it's a weird location, but like the show doesn't treat it as a weird location, really, where it feels like the yeah, need to explain. Yeah, there's even a spy voiceover tip about like gaming facilities are a great place to go find loan sharks. <laughs> yeah. 
The show's like, we all know what these are. <laughs> you know, <laughs> gaming facilities. One. You know, you facilities and the boys, you know, gaming, like, of course. You and the boys get together, maybe for a bachelor party, go to a gaming facility, facilitate some gaming. Anyways, so gaming is being facilitated, um, and they are mostly just there to, like, kind of s- see what their what their mark looks like. And it's the guy that plays Carter is the guy who also plays the prison guard from Prison Break, which I can't wait to, to watch with you, Christine Cherry, my dear friend. Cannot wait to do a, a Prison Break podcast after this, but we'll get to that. This you'll You'll recognize this guy from that show when we eventually watch it together as friends, as bosom buddies, as stroke pals. Um, the initial plan uh, that they come up <laughs> the initial plan that they come up with while scouting is that they uh, want to switch the paperwork so that Car- Carter steals a different boat. I don't know. They're not very clear about what the initial plan is, but it'll be built out. I over think the, the idea the is that like yeah, I think they want to switch they eventually, the paperwork. Yeah, they eventually add a different thing to it, but they just want to, at the first phase, is like, all right, we can't give him the actual fishing boat, so why don't you do some research onto a boat with, like, outstanding warrants, and we will get there, let, let's give them that boat. And that's, like, phase well, one of this plan. Well, it's not, I think it's, like, a boat that's already been impounded by the police. Oh, is it something related to the police and yeah. a boat? Yeah, it's, like, it's a boat that, like, yeah, they, they could like borrow it. I forget. It's a whole thing. It doesn't matter. <laughs> it doesn't matter because we'll, the the actual plan will be clarified later. So next, we see Michael getting ready for his new alias, where, where and he's wearing one of Nate's like terrible shirts. And Fee walks into the loft as he's doing this, and um, there's some like really cute back and forth between them. Michael even smile like le- legitimately smiles at her because they're like joking about how bad he looks in this fucking stupid shirt. Here's the thing. He looks bad in the shirt. Everyone does. But like, because it's a bad shirt. But also, Michael Weston has no room to talk. This is a man who has never in his life dressed well. I don't know where he gets off. Like, here's the thing. He, he looks better. Neutral, he looks better say. in a Nate shirt than he looks in his regular shit. Because at least there's something going on. Because at least there's something going on. And it's not it's beige. It's not just beige on beige. <laughs> yeah. I know. It's like, hey, Michael Weston looks good when you don't dress him in beige. It's crazy how that works. But there's some cute back and forth. And then Fee holds up uh, the results of a shopping trip she's just taken because she's actually literally bought a paper shredder that she mentioned in the cold open. One press of a button and his past becomes his past. And Michael's like, all right, I'll do it tonight. But right now he puts on the terrible sunglasses. Fee winces. He has a business meeting. He kisses her on the cheek goodbye. He leaves and she goes, have a good day at work, sweetie. And it's like, this is very cute. It's really sweet. Like they're so domestic blissing out and i am they obsessed are. with it no it's and like they just look like good. they have fun together like he's never had this much personality in an episode possibly ever but now he's got he's been wifed and it's awesome it's so cute yeah like no because this is such like a i feel like last week we talked about like the bad version of like family values but this is like the nice version where it's like family and caring about each other and like domestic like domesticity and like people being sweet to each other and it's nice. 
It is. It's really nice. And like, I'm really glad this has been the like come down from last week for sure. Yeah. Uh, so Michael waits in the yogurt shop with yet another free Froyo uh, waiting for Carter to make an entrance so he can introduce himself. Michael is playing Trey, a nasal voice Nate Weston type who the apparently dead husband also owed money to. And his whole thing is he wants to team up because he knows a guy from his Vegas days named the Magician who can help falsify some paperwork for them so that they can get the boat like way easier than just smashing her shop up. Uh, Carter, I after some back and forth, agrees to let Trey, Trey be his boss. <laughs> Trey is incredible. We will talk about Trey a lot. We like the next uh, the the next scene. We'll oh no, this is the first scene we learn it. So Trey's whole thing, other than being basically Nate Weston, which I think is very funny, given that it now is really funny Michael that has been his father. He's also <laughs> he's also a little bit the guy from Fearless Leader. He is kind of because yeah, like the the voiceover right before we really like meet Trey. Meet Trey is that like sometimes you got to let the bad guy be the alpha. And so you have to, like, make it clear that you're not the alpha, but you could still help them. And so his yeah. way of, like, showing that he's got not all his screws all the way in is that he, like, he says a lot of idioms, but he gets them just, like, a little bit wrong. So, like, the yeah. first one, the first one in this, I wrote them all down because it's hilarious and only Michael Horowitz could have pulled this off and he fucking did it. Um, Jason Tracy could never. But the, the first one is, you know, we can't just, you can't just smash up her shop. It's like trying to get juice from a stone. And Carter's like, don't you mean blood? And he's like, I'm pretty sure it's juice. And then just walks away. He's so good. I cannot tell you how hard I laughed at all of these. Not just that the, he got the idioms wrong, but that he's like so steadfastly like, no, I got it right the first time. And yeah. does not invite further. It's, it's so funny. It's I, maybe I'm just in a mood, but like it really tickled me. No, this is was, a very no, fun runner. It was really good. I really liked it. So we go back to the gaming facility to meet with the boss, who I assumed was just unnamed the entire time. But at the very end, they're like, oh, it's Wallace. So I guess the guy's name is Wallace. But Carter's boss is named Wallace. And Trey continues to try to impress him to get him to like join let him join the club this time his idiom is there's more than one way to skin a cat's hair off its body and like everyone just sort of reacts a little bit but nobody says anything this time but like he yeah. says it so confidently that we're like okay yes there is more than one way to skin a cat's hair off its body you're right Trey. Can, can i say that if this episode has a weak point it is the casting of wallace the boss because like Wallace is supposed to be like this like really intimidating boss dude and he is like not at all intimidating. Wallace is played yeah. by like a guy that you get to like be like a computer salesman from like the Or 90s. like a high school principal. Or like a high school principal, yeah. But like but not even a high school principal. Like he a middle looks, school principal. he seems like no. Not a principal, like a teacher. Like he seems like someone who no one would give authority to. <laughs> yeah it is weird like, weird casting like carter does definitely seem more like the scumbag in charge type. yeah and like which he does kind of play in prison break exactly yeah but like he just has this like weird sort of like i guess the only way that i can say it is that he has real strong canada energy <laughs> Well, all right then. Uh, so yeah, so Canada Energy agrees to let Trey like try out for the gang, essentially. 
with this this boat thing. Then we have an obligatory client meeting where they explain that not only have they switched the paperwork for the boats, but they're also going to try to set up Carter to look like an undercover cop because as the voiceover notes, there is like nothing more like the betrayal of finding out one of your guys is actually like a snitch. So they're like, this is perfect. We'll get, you know, two birds, one stone. No one is going to think about you at all because they're going to be so focused on getting Carter, the undercover cop, out of the way. Like I said earlier, we're like, we're like, it, the episode did the thing that I was like, oh, they should do this plot, even though like the show never agrees with me. This is the point in the episode where I was like, you know, it would be a fun twist if he actually was an undercover cop. <laughs> I was yeah, like, you had this episode number. I did. I was like, no, like, I get Michael Horowitz. Like, but no, I was just like, yeah, no, that would be a fun plot that they could do on an episode of Burn At Us. I didn't think that they were going to do it in this episode. Brie, you and I were talking in text about how I, I want Burn Notice to be 10% better, but all I can expect is that it should be 2% better. Mm-hmm. This episode yeah, is 10%, 10% better. I mean, it's a fucking Michael Horowitz joint, and I'm sorry exactly. that we didn't think that you were going to be able to impress us again, because you have. This is, it's a great episode. It's like, okay, we, we got to move on, but we'll talk about how great it is throughout. So um, yeah. the the next phase is that they they don't know where Carter lives so they can't plant any cop stuff on him. Um, so Nate and Michael are tailing him around town, waiting for him to like leave his car long enough for them to either uh, put a GPS tracker on him or just like literally follow him home. They, my, Nate and Michael have a cute little talk in the car about how good Michael looks in one of Nate's terrible shirts. And Michael's like, yeah, I'm burning this as soon as I'm done with it. And Nate goes rude and it's like a cute little back and forth. And I almost believe that they like each other. These two brothers who could not be more different then the carter heads into like a motorcycle dealership and they're like with like a thing of gasoline and they're like oh fuck this is gonna go bad so michael runs in to like run interference um and nate runs to put the gps in and it works the entire motorcycle shop is not burned down the next step of the plan has begun and the gps is now implanted in the car uh that night Michael agonizes over his own files, but then he hears Fee coming, uh, so he stows them under the table, but like he has taken a bunch of them out of the box that they were previously in. So uh, when Fee walks in, all Michael's doing is holding up a yogurt innocently, but uh, she interprets the missing files from the box to believe that he started uh, shredding, and he does not correct her. But uh, this will come back to haunt him. Not much, because, you know, things are going well. It's the honeymoon phase. But like, you know. And this episode's wholesome. It is. It's extremely wholesome. But also, Michael is still kind of having PTSD and like can't let go of the past quite yet. He can't put his finger on it. But he's like, what if I just look at them one more time? Um, Which I do think is an interesting sort of runner tension, given that there's no like spy plot this episode. Like the the, the CIA plot this episode is Michael. Yeah. Is like a character plot. Mm-hmm. Like it's just a character plot. And it's that is good. so cool. Like that's not a thing that we do on this show. Mm-mm. Usually it's two separate like case of the weeks. One of which is more developed than the other. With but maybe no, a C plot like... involving Madeline or Fee. Exactly. But no, it's just like a character runner. Like that's, this is what I want from like a show. And this is what I want. This is the non-monkey from... paw version of <laughs> what we want yeah. out of Burn Notice. This is true. This is what I want from procedural television. 
Yeah, and the best procedural television does that. And like, I yeah. would argue that most procedural television has more freedom to do it because their most procedurals don't have two separate cases going on at once. Like in an episode of Bones, there's not like the Bones investigation and then like a separate FBI investigation that we're also sometimes dealing with. Like it's just the investigation and then whatever's going on with the characters. But Burn Notice has sort of uniquely set itself up for failure where usually there is like the macro plot of solving a CIA case that's entirely detached from like the day-to-day case of the week. And I don't think that it had to be that way. I think they could have had their cake and ate it too, but like, because they're so bad at thematic alignment, they didn't really do a good job of integrating the two plot lines when they had them. Burn Notice is trying to figure out, this was like this period of time when we were trying to figure out like basic cable shows were trying to figure out serialization. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it very much is in that, like, transitionary period between, like, tried and true, fully procedural to what if everything was just a to be continued? Yeah, and not everyone had figured it out yet. Like, some people had figured it out, but, like, like yeah, the show started in, what, 2007? Uh, like, yes. We were still, like, figuring that shit out. So, like, it seems like an interesting experiment. I wonder if that's why the later seasons are so much stronger which is not always the case, especially with procedurals. Like, I feel like procedurals have sort of the opposite problem of a lot of, like, prestige dramas where um, usually they get less strong the further in they get just because, like, they've exhausted so many of their ideas and there's usually so many more episodes that, like, they have to, like, have people have babies and have people get married and, like, kill people off. And it's it's harder to maintain the, like, freshness of it, whereas, like, procedural or, like, we're non-procedurals, like, as we get to know the characters better, it gets easier to tell stories with them. Um, And I feel like Burn Notice has had the opposite because I think as the world of television gets better about, you know, serialization, they're learning it too. Yeah. I don't know. Just a thing to think about. So the next day, Trey waits to meet up with Carter in an empty parking lot and insists on accompanying him to go get the boat because he's handing over the like uh, the paperwork. Uh, he even gets into the Carter's car with him. Don't look a gift horse in the teeth, Carter, is what he says to him. Another great Trayism. Uh, but Carter tells him to buzz off, which is earlier than they anticipated because at the same time as Michael is doing this handoff and was supposed to like take him to the Everglades or something, I don't know, uh, Fiona and Sam are in Carter's apartment like planting cop stuff. So there's a little bit of a scuffle of, you know, them trying to race to get it done in a much shorter period of time. Sam crashes into Carter with this, uh, or no, gets Carter to smash into his car to like stall him. But luckily Fiona gets out clean and everything is fine. Then they go meet up with a client again and listen in with Jessica with to a bug on the boat that they have got them set up with as Carter hands over the paperwork to his boss, all like full of himself. Like, look at me, boss. I did such a good job. You should let me do bigger jobs. <laughs> Part of the reason that like they decided to frame him as an undercover cop is that like, it's not that hard to do because like his profile kind of fits it because like he's relatively recent. He's a relatively recent addition to the crew, but he's trying mm-hmm. to like prove himself really quickly. Often like how Michael does, Michael has to go in and very quickly demonstrate his value. Mm-hmm. And like, this is what Carter is doing. He's like, look, I can get you more work, you know, like mm-hmm. I'm a worker. Yeah. So, so they're like, perfect. Everything's going great. Everything's coming up. Burn notice crew. So now we got to go to the next phase of the plan and we got to hurry because Jesse is helping us out, but he's on his lunch break. So we can't keep him too long. It's 26 minutes into the episode. And finally, Jesse, our like fifth ensemble member appears but before we get to jesse was he filming something 
I don't know. Do you want to look that up while I'm recapping the next thing? I don't know. But like, it it seems weird to get him into main cast town and have him in like five minutes an episode, if that. Or maybe they never planned on him being a regular. I don't know. Yeah, I don't don't know know either. It's very strange. But we're, we're going to get to Jesse, but not quite yet. So we go back to the gaming facility once again, our favorite place in the world. The gaming facility. (laughs) <laughs> and Trey pretends that he wants to skip town. And so he really, he was like, hey, can I just get the uh, paperwork back? No problem. Just, I just want the paperwork back. And then I'll, I'll leave and you'll never hear from me again. That's fine. That's fine. Like acting all like shady and like flinchy. And finally, you know, uh, Wallace manages to get out of him um, that the reason he's so freaked is because he's just learned that Carter is a cop. Uh, oh, no. So Wallace is obviously does not believe him. Um, but Trey's like, no, I got a contact at the local precinct. I always have a contact at a local precinct. You know, let's go look, let's go talk to him. And so we go to the precinct where Jesse, you know, dressed up as like a nerdy desk guy, uh, like comes out of the precinct, quote unquote, to hand over a file. And he's like, oh, I can't believe you're making me do this. Blah, 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 blah. Um, uh, But basically the file confirms that like, you know. He is an undercover cop. He isn't just working for the police. Like, he is the police. So, you know, you should probably skip town. Um, They uh, still don't quite believe him. It's fun to watch Jesse and Michael both play, like, like... Beta males. Beta males, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I believe it more for Michael, frankly. Just because he's less physically imposing. Yeah. No, I don't know. I think Jesse sells it. With a shirt on. Oh, he definitely does. But, like, when you look at Jesse, you're like, yeah, but... You got something more going on under there. Because he's just so much taller and he's bald. Yeah. Jesse is like kind of... Jesse is Clark Kenting here. (laughs) Yeah, he definitely is. That's a good way of putting it. So they... So Wallace is like, all right, I kind of believe you, but like we have to go find actual proof before I just like kill one of my guys. So they go over to Carter's place. Carter's freaking out. They're like tearing it apart. Um, From the earlier scene, we know that Fee put the stuff under a floorboard. So uh, Michael keeps trying to like get them to look under the floorboards because it's taking them a while. Carter's kind of freaking out. Um, And then uh, during an interaction between him and Wallace, Carter kind of like, uh, glances over at a particular painting by kind of accident. And Wallace is like, check behind the painting. And Michael's like, the painting? And then we discover what Chris predicted 20 minutes ago, which is, oh shit, Carter's actually an undercover cop. Not just that, he's an undercover fed. He's from the FBI. He had a totally different box of like actual stuff in a different wall. And so now Michael immediately is like, oh fuck, <laughs> oh fuck. I fucked up. I need to help this man now. He is carried outside by the goons and Michael and Trey, Michael Trey has to like stall. So the boss wants to like take him up into the Everglades to like interrogate him and then fucking murder him. Uh, And Michael manages to like get himself to go along to do a little bit of interrogation himself. And in the meantime, he calls Fee and Sam and is like, hey, they found the stuff in the wall. And Fee's like, what? No, I put it in the floorboards. And he's like, yep, the wall. That's where it was. He's a fed. And they're like, and then so now they're on board like, oh, shit. Okay, we'll we'll tell you and we'll we'll help you out. So they get to the forest or the Everglades or the key or wherever. And um, Michael has like, before he was shut into a trunk, Michael unduct taped Carter's arms and was like, hey, I'm also undercover. I'm really sorry about this. When you when the trunk gets opened, come out swinging. And he does. So Carter runs away. I don't Michael think he then, apologizes. 
Yeah, I don't think he apologizes. I'm apologizing for him. Nobody really apologizes in Burn Notice, nor did they say thank you. People just sort of like give each other meaningful looks and you're supposed to interpret a thank you or a sorry from that. Because Anyways. they're men, Brie. Fiona does this it too. Fiona also does do. not say thank you for things. I guess she's been right, being written by men, so. Yeah, no, no, <sighs> Fee is a cool girl. <laughs> she's one of the guys. Anyways, yeah. so Carter runs she off. She eat and- a whole burger and can't say thank you. <laughs> She's emotionally stunted and loves meat. So Carter runs off. Michael like takes one of the goons' guns and runs off after him. And in order to get the goons to not uh, shoot him, he keeps like shooting really close next to their heads to like throw them off. So only he gets really any shots off that are actually accurate. So they run out of bullets. Carter gets away. Michael and or uh, Sam and Fee pick him up and like rescue him. Um, but Michael is really not okay with how close of a call that was. So they like have to really quickly put a lot of things together. So Carter and Sam and Fee head off to like get the cavalry. And they're like, hey, we know we may have screwed this up for you, but we're going to get you him. Can you get the cavalry to the gaming facility? You know, the facility where you game. And he's like, sure, the facility where I game. Mommy, can we go to the gaming facility? You know, the facility where we game. Um, And so... Chris, we should always fill. We should always record earlier and earlier. Oh my god! Okay, yeah, okay. go on. <laughs> We're almost to the end. Uh, so Michael basically convinces uh, Wallace to go, like, get all of his money and ledgers from the the gaming facility to like leave town with. He does this, and of course, immediately gets caught by the cavalry that Carter has brought with him. So you know, it no all worked to out. Carter, but like. It was so easy for them to do this. Well, what the fuck spy. was Carter Carter's doing? Just <laughs> well, I think he was probably trying to like slow. Like, I don't think most people just go in and are like, you have to leave the, the country. Get all of your ledgers. But I think he was like assuming he'd he, have to work harder. It, I know. It seemed he, he shouldn't have. He had to torch that dude's bike. They established the next scene that like if Carter's plan had like gone through, then like the client was going to have to go into witness protection. Like, mm-hmm. it seems like, it seems like it's real easy to just con bad guys. I don't know why the FBI is doing all these, like, long games. Because they have rules to follow, and Michael Weston doesn't have to follow rules. <laughs> but anyways, so they, they got out okay, but Michael is really not comfortable with how close the call was. They have one final client meeting, which is kind of meaningless, except for the fact that Michael Weston now has a little card that says free yogurt for life, Michael Weston, which is just the best thing I've ever seen on my television screen. It's so good. (laughs) So that he takes one more free yogurt. So that's four yogurts in an episode. Michael Horowitz getting us back on track for the yogurt counter. And Nate pulls him aside. Do you think it it counts because it's frozen yogurt? (laughs) Yes, 100%. Like we, we counted the frozen yogurt drink as half of one from a couple of seasons ago but like it's consi- it's called free yogurt for life like it's just considered yeah, a no, yogurt it's I think oh, it's, it's definitely. Count. I think it counts too. I just, I felt like I had to address it. <laughs> he has a little card that says "free yogurt for life." They fucking count. <laughs> now we have a conversation between Nate and Michael. Which wait, is so wait. The- Does that mean that this episode actually has infinite yogurts? 
<laughs> not well we have to count the ones that we see on screen or him consume i know we saw infinite yogurts on screen <laughs> no no we have to see a physical yogurt for it to count this is the most scientific aspect of our ranking system chris we cannot stray Ugh, you're such an fbi <laughs> a female body inspector hell yeah baby so uh nate and michael have a conversation this is the only conversation from the whole episode that i wasn't thrilled by because at first it starts out like it seems like nate is actually finally going to have some good advice which is like hey as a for uh, f- uh, as a uh fellow addict i can tell you this does not go anywhere good but it, it while it starts that way it kind of ends with so you got to see it through if you think there's something like you could give it up or you could keep going do- either way it's going to be bad <laughs> but Here's michael's thing. like cool yeah i'll keep researching that's terrible don't just say keep ga- don't say terrible advice it. <laughs> it's terrible advice but also nate is terrible like i that's like that the show is like I like that the show is like someone has to give him bad advice because like our plot requires him to have to keep doing a bad thing. So of course Nate is the one who tells him like, I agree. It's a weird, it's a weird conversation. And like, yeah, the end of the conversation kind of doesn't make sense with the beginning of the conversation. What if you just gambled through your addiction? Yeah. That's, that's how you get out of it. Like, okay. Exactly. It's weird that, like, Nate is being very do as I say, not as I do about this. Because, like, that's not what Nate did. Mm-mm. No, it's not at all. He left a place where his gambling addiction was being fed too easily to come yeah. back to family in his, a safe place where he has a support system. And he's like, actually, Michael, you should keep poking the bear. And Michael's like, great, I'm going to keep poking the bear. So the final scene of the episode is the dead of Nike night. Fee wakes up and finds Michael not in bed next to her, but instead over at his little desk with the light on looking over the folders one more time. Part of the point of the Nate scene, I think, is for Nate to describe his rock bottom Which, like, his rock bottom is, like, he was gambling when his kid was born. Mm -hmm. Which is, like, that's that's bad. But also, like, as rock bottoms go, that's solid. I mean, he's a white guy, Chris. What can we expect from him? And I feel like I have seen Nate in way more trouble than that. Yeah, it's true. (laughs) He's definitely been in way more trouble than that. He's been in way more trouble than, like, that. But, like, I think, like... We have to have that image in our head so that in this next scene, when we see Michael ignoring Fee, we get, like, the parallel. Sure. But yeah, like, so it becomes, that scene where Nate talks to him becomes weird because we have to establish that the thing that Michael is doing is bad, but also encourage him to do it. And it's weird that they're trying to have Nate do both of those things. Mm Mm-hmm. Establish yeah. it was a bad decision, but encourage him to do it anyways. Yeah, it's very which weird. like it is weird, but I do like this. I do like this scene at the end. The, yeah, the, now that now that you have have re like, because I was like, this is bad advice. What's happening? And then you're like, well, you know, Nate is bad, right? It's a good fucking point, Chris Cherry. Yes, Nate is, <sighs> Nate bad. is bad. I like the scene now. <laughs> yeah, no, but I like I specifically like this scene at the end because like with Fee and Michael, sure, like it's because it's really simple, but like I like the way that like for burn notice, this is subtle. <laughs> like yeah, this scene at the end where it's like Fee isn't saying anything, like. She isn't saying, like, look what this obsession is doing to you in this scene. She's just like, we just see the effects of it. We okay. see him, like, doing a thing, and we see Fee be upset, and just, like, characters are just doing things and not talking about their motivations. Or, like, 
they're not talking the plot they're doing the plot it's kind of you know, lovely not, it's it's almost it like nice. a competent writer was in charge of this exactly. episode thank god and also like i kind of like that the show never explicitly acknowledges but like it's sort of there in the subtext that like Part of the reason that Michael didn't catch that Carter is was an undercover cop is because he's distracted. Mm-hmm. He's not and on he's his super A-game paranoid. Here. And he, yeah, no, yeah. he's really not. And like, I like that. Basically, I, everything about this episode is good. Like, you know, there are some moments, but like for the most part, this is a fucking this is an A plus burnt notice episode. Unfortunately, they are not A plus spy tips. There were some right. real stinkers. So uh, I've compiled six that might work. <laughs> But I have a feeling that it's going to fail. So, spy tips. Number one, gaming facilities. Facility for gaming. The facility to gaming. The gaming facility. (laughs) Provide a natural habitat for loan sharks who are always hunting for gamblers who need a quick buck at a bad rate. As long as they don't turn on each other, they're at the top of the food chain. So this is basically nothing, but we know that gaming facilities exist now. So, like, do we find that useful? If we want to go I mean, loan shark hunting, like I if we kind, wanted to promise a young woman thing. some loan sharks, we could go to a gaming facility. Yeah, I think I, I'll count it because I learned a thing, apparently. Mm-hmm. Fair enough. All right. Number two, making an approach to a bad guy isn't always about seeming scary, intimidating, or even smart. A certain kind of target needs to feel superior. So if getting the job done means letting them be the dominant force in the room, you step back and let them do exactly that. We have definitely had this tip before. Yeah, I that's I thought that too. It's the only uh, it's it's one of the only concrete ones in here. But I had a sneaking suspicion that we had in fact. No, we've definitely had this tip before. Yeah. Sorry, Michael. I mean, like, honestly, that's what Fearless Leader is about. That's true. Yeah, that's exactly that's exactly what Fearless Leader is about. Fuck, you're right. And also the one where I don't remember which episode it is, but Michael at one point plays like a chemist or something like with weird Coke bottle glasses and he has an inhaler. And that one, I think, was also predicated on, you know, sometimes you got to play the beta. Exactly. Yeah. No, anytime Michael plays a beta, that's the tip. Yeah. All right. So this one is sort of a no shit one, but I figured I'd put it in here. Number two, bad guys, like most people, aren't big on checking the details on legal documents, which makes fine print a powerful weapon for spies. Altering information on subsection 10 on a title deed might not be very exciting, but when that information makes a loan shark look like a cop, it can be as deadly as a bullet. (sighs) I may not have thought of that. Yeah, I wouldn't have either necessarily, although it does like make sense. Like you're you're kind of gambling a on, you know, if part of your con relates to legalese and paperwork, there's probably a lot you can do that, you know, they might not notice that helps you. I don't know. Again, I'm inclined to like this episode. Like it's not going to win on spy tips, but I'm going to try. Okay, fair enough. Let's keep it. All right, number three, stalling someone with a car accident is about calibrating the perfect amount of impact. You don't want to cause major injury or create a massive scene. You just need enough contact to keep your target from leaving right away. And it's all about the timing because you want to make them hit you. It's that last piece that I think cinches it for me of like, yeah, no, you shouldn't I think so just too. hit someone with your car. <laughs> you should try yeah. to get them to hit you so they feel responsible. Exactly. Although Carter didn't. Carter immediately was like, fuck off. Uh, okay number four one of the most powerful techniques in a sparse arsenal is accusing a bad guy of being a good guy your enemy's associates dispatch their version of justice faster than any law enforcement agency but they're also much more ruthless of course that's the same reason that spies live in fear of the day they accidentally accuse one of the good guys of being a good guy yeah this is 
this is just like the thing they do on most episodes of Burn Notice. This isn't like I I yeah. learned I know this because I watch Burn Notice. <laughs> yeah, I don't think they were expecting anybody to pay attention, but we were. No. Gotcha. All right. So this already fails, but here's finally number four. It takes a combination of factors to create the fog of war on a battlefield, but spies know that even a single weapon can be a serious distraction. It's hard not to look where someone's firing and gunshots are disorienting, especially at close range. So this is basically like you want to distract people so they don't actually do good with guns, but still seem like you're on their side. So shoot too close to their face or shoot in the wrong direction to make them look in that direction and shoot with you, Uh, which I think makes sense. No, I thought that was good. Yeah, it was very quick thinking, which is what we love best yeah. about our boy Michael Weston. Unfortunately, it is only number four on our spy tips list, which means oh. that there were not at least five practical spy tips. Uh-oh. Um, did they solve the weekly crime with spycraft over violence? They super did. There, there was there was a decent amount of spycraft, so you, we we gotcha. I mean, like, yeah, it was a... all about planting evidence and, like, doing an alias and, like, documents I think the most spy thing you could do is have documents. I agree. And speaking of an alias, did we have a distinct alias this time? We sure did. I love Trey. Trey and his bad idioms. Squeezing juice from a rock. No, I'm pretty sure it's juice. (laughs) Like, I think it's just his, like, his unironic, like, no, I'm right. (laughs) That's the part that cinches it for me every time. Or just, like, the cutaway. Me too. Or like the cutaways to people's reactions to his weird, like there's more than one way to skin, uh, to take the skin off of a cat's back or whatever the fuck it was. He's like watching other people react. He does. And honestly, in some ways it feels like the editors on Burn Notice are better at editing a comedy than they are an action show sometimes. That's true. Just something to think about. All right. So the we have to have at least two of the supporting characters used well in order to make this a great episode of Burn Notice. So does Fee get to blow something up or get to be the protagonist? Um, does she blow don't, something up? I don't think she does. I think the most she does in this episode is like be his girlfriend and plant some cop stuff in the floorboards. Yeah. That's true. I don't I don't think she gets to blow anything up. And she also definitely no. doesn't get to be protagonist. She gets to no. be in some good scenes, but Yeah, it's true. I don't think but, like, she they're was like Michael used scenes. particularly well. Exactly. I mean I think she was like, like Yeah, I don't think yeah. I think she was used well in her capacity as Michael's girlfriend. Yeah. But like that's but not that's what not this what is. we're talking about. That's not what makes yeah. a great episode of burn notice. No. Um okay. Does Sam get to be peace, peak Bruce Campbell? We don't use yes, labels he, except for boy toy. Yes, here's the thing. Any time that Sam is dating someone and it's mentioned, I think mm-hmm. it counts. Because yeah, 100%. it's always the best. Always the it's best. It's really good. Him and Elsa are my OTP. Remember OTPs? Oh my god. <laughs> uh, okay, cool. Uh, so we have one. Uh, is Jesse a distinct addition rather than a redundancy? Sure isn't. He's in one scene, and he's, he's just scene. who Michael would have been if Michael wasn't already playing a different part. This is true. So, nope. Sorry, Jesse. Uh, and then finally, is Madeline given a, a genuine emotional moment with another character or get to be a part of the case of the week? I also think- is Madeline in this episode? Yeah, she's in the very beginning. Remember, she's playing with uh, Charlie. Oh, she's yeah. Charlie. She's like holding a baby. But I think that's in it. That I don't think she's scene. in it. Or, like, with the baby. You know how when you're in a place with a newborn baby and everything feels kind of sticky? 
Like, that <laughs> first scene has that energy. Like, I looked at that first scene where they're holding the baby. I was looking like, that place looks sticky. <laughs> Yeah, but I don't. I don't think that counts. I don't think her telling no. Nate like I've done this a couple of times counts as a genuine. Yeah, no, that's not with a thing. character. So it's unfortunately, not. despite the incredible alias of this episode, this is not a great episode of Burn Notice. However, Chris Cherry, is yeah. this a great episode of television? Recastellini, this is a great episode of television. It is. It's so good. He's back. Our boy is back. Our boy is back. He's now just a friend of the pod again instead of a frenemy. Exactly. Well, he he's probably back. still thinks he's a frenemy. I, I think the frenemy is more about how he feels about us and less yeah. about how we feel about him. Uh, but think, yeah, great episode of television. Hey, Not we're on better terms than we were. Certainly. And I think we never were on terrible terms. We were never on terrible terms with Michael We were Horowitz. just, we were flying so high that the fall had we to be were, pretty bad. We flew too close to the sun. Like Icarus, we were too mean to Matt we And so <laughs> he burned us and we fell to the earth. Yeah. You know how Icarus. Like, yeah. You know how, you know how Icarus was too mean to Matt Nix? <laughs> I read Edith Hamilton's mythology. <laughs> I remember the Matt Nick scene. Of course. Uh, do you have anything else to say about this episode? Or are we just going to pat our good good best friend, Michael Horowitz, on the back and call I'm it a day? I'm glad he's back. I love it. I mean, I am too. whenever and this he happens. Has, I think, he has one more episode this season, I think. Yeah, he has a mid-season yeah. episode. Which doesn't work well because mid-season is usually like a like a mid-season finale sort of thing. And those can be kind of hit or miss. They have to be more plotty. They can't be as episodic, which I think is where... He, he also really usually shines. doesn't write those. Exactly. So I don't think he's going to... It's probably like a right before or right after. It's episode 9 of 18. So it's like directly in the middle. Yeah. Interesting. Mm-hmm. But like still like... They don't always, like, split them evenly. Like, I would be very surprised if this was, like, a finale. But were you going to say something? I was going to say, any time that this happens where a great episode of television is not a great episode of Burn Notice, like... You feel a little tingle of vindication? I do. Stroke up your body? Yeah. Um, But yeah, I I just want to acknowledge it again that, hey, maybe, maybe this means something. It doesn't because we have enough data now to show that it is not impossible to have a great episode of television that's, that's also true. a great episode of Burn Notice. That's very the true. Science calls you a dumb bitch. <laughs> that's fine. <laughs> uh, that's fine. Okay. Well, you know what's also fine and not just fine, but excellent is Vincent E.L. who wrote our theme music. You can find more from Vincent E.L. Uh, at vincentel.bandcamp.com. And until next week. Bye. I'm a, I'm a Jamer girl. A Jamer <laughs> girl. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>